Hi, and welcome to Shots with Catherine, Conversations with Creatives, where I chat with creators of all different mediums to get into what really keeps those creative gears turning. Today, I'm excited to welcome director and editor Paul Mizia. He's directed and edited numerous short films and founded the production company Real Clef Studios. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, yeah. Uh, thanks for the intro and thanks for having me. I appreciate it just being able to have this conversation. This is one of my favorite questions. People always have such different and interesting answers. What was it that mm. inspired you to become a filmmaker? And can you tell us a bit about your journey so far? Mm, yes, uh, I was nine years old and my father decided it was a good idea to watch Brendan Fraser's The Mummy with us. And to try and prevent us from being scared, we watched the behind the scenes first. And it was the first time I'd realized that computers could create things on screen that weren't actually there and I was fascinated by that and so I never forgot it the movie didn't scare me a whole lot my brother was terrified that he was like a year younger and I was like I want to do that I want to I want to put things on the screen that weren't actually there and so I started just I became obsessed with it and looking into like how could I do this and I was like mom dad I need a camera and they're like what for so basically I started out as a kid I think I got my hands on a camera when I was 11 or so. And I just started recording stupid videos of us fighting and pretending to be X-Men. And the only way, because we didn't have editing software at the time. So what I did is I was able to extract every frame from the footage, save it as an image. I Photoshopped everyone individually and then used a slideshow program to put it all back together and told it to export every picture in a 30th of a second. And uh, after doing this for a little while, my parents were like, what do we do with this kid? <laughs> um, so eventually we got some editing software and really I got my start just because I was interested in visual effects. And, uh, you know, a few years in, I realized as a kid, I'm like, wow, people only watch these because they know me, but no one else cares. So I just started like, I was paying attention when I would watch movies, like how are they made and what's interesting about this? What makes me want to watch a movie? And that's, you know, I just kind of figured out, well, it's, it's a story. And so I shifted my focus into storytelling and honing that side of the craft. I was fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time as a kid just studying film. I'd, I'd get books in the library, I'd watch movies, and I learned everything that I could about it. And I did the writing myself. I did directing. I did the camera work. I did the editing because I was the only person in my family or cousins or anyone that I knew who was interested in this stuff. So friends and family members would act in my little videos, but I had to do it all myself. And so I, I fell in love with each aspect of the process. And as I got older, tried to narrow it down. Like, you know, I, I, I just want to be a director or I just want to do camera work. or I just want to edit. And I really couldn't narrow it down. I have a very different love for each aspect of filmmaking for a different reason. I have kind of given up on uh, on cinematography. I can frame a shot. I know how to move the camera. I, I generally know how I'd like it to move, but I cannot light a scene uh, for crap. I'm not a colorist and I can tell you what I want it to look like, but I can't get it from A to Z. So my focus really has just become writing and directing and then editing. And recently, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy that's doing it all on every project. I know some people frown upon that and, and I wouldn't want to miss out on the gold that can come from collaborating with other people, especially talented ones. So my hope is that I can shift into this mode where I will just write and direct my own films and bring other editors on, or I will edit other people's films. I don't want to do all three on every project, but it's tough with short films, you know, when there's not oh, yeah. much money in the budget and you have a specific vision. So Two of the films that I sent you, I edited them because there was no money in the budget and there was a specific vision. I knew exactly what I wanted for it. But 
my hope from where I came from to where I'm going is write and direct stuff and or edit other people's films because I, I just love both and I can't let either one go. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. A lot of uh, corporate work through high school and college because it pays the bills. I did a stint in weddings, which I can't stand because creatively they're just so dry to me. And I, I recently went part-time at my day job and I quit doing anything other than narrative film. Cause I figure if that's what I want to do, if I keep saying yes to other stuff, I'm going to keep getting calls to do other stuff. So narrative and a day job and taking care of my family, that's where I'm at. That sounds like such a great way to just get experience with everything because I've always thought anybody who wants to be a director or any part of the creative process of filmmaking should have some experience doing a little bit of everything so that you know how all the pieces fit together and how to work with the rest of the team and then speaking of the films that you sent me I was so impressed by just how visual they were like the masterpiece almost felt like a visual poem in some ways and I was also super impressed with how well it flowed and the pacing, just watching it. I was like, oh, I can tell that somebody who knows how to edit was directing this also because it it just it felt so cohesive narratively. I feel like I've seen a lot of short films that, you know, good idea, but don't necessarily flow. How do you go about that? Like kind of combining both of those two things that you're good at when you're creating a film like as a director or as an editor and then if you're doing both on a project how do you get out of one's mindset and into the next Hmm. great question first of all thank you for the feedback on that I think honestly my biggest concern with the masterpiece was the pacing because certain things on the page I realized while directing actually I was like this is gonna take up much more screen time in the edit Uh, than I thought it would. So the opening montage in the masterpiece, you know, was only a paragraph uh, on page and I thought it would be much shorter. And then doing the edit, I was like, this is a much bigger chunk of the film than I thought it was going to be. So it changed how I edited the rest, but it's interesting. And on that project, I had a lot of really good collaborators and producers along the way who I was able to get feedback from. Our DP and producer on set are very visually minded and they just kind of understood the vision. And so I had a lot of meetings with our executive producer who who the film is about. Um, He's also the lead actor. And he wrote the narration because it's his story and I wrote the screenplay around it. So with that film, I actually, I mean, I do love telling a story visually, but that was kind of kicked up to a hundred. It was extremely visual and I wanted it to be theatrical and dramatic because I think art just is that way naturally. And the idea was that this film, since it's telling his life story and he is a painter, I wanted it to be like a painting in that it doesn't necessarily make sense from a continuity standpoint. There are things that blend from scene to scene or shot to shot the same way paint strokes do you know if you separate them all it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but put it together and you still get a cohesive experience and so the challenge was how do we tell his story in a way that's engaging for people who don't know him is engaging for artists who maybe don't even experience the emotional side of it but are seeing like the visual story so i went a little overboard i would say on planning just in my head, you know, how each shot was going to move and exactly what I wanted it to look like. And it never would have been successful if it weren't for our director of photography, because I'm sure you've experienced this. You might go into a film knowing what you want it to look like and picturing these shots, and then you get to set and it's like, all right, this is going to look 
close to what I saw in my head, but not quite it. Maybe if you're lucky, 70% of it looks what you saw in your head and the rest of it is just different, but you can still tell the story. This film, every single shot was verbatim exactly what I saw in my head. Like we got to the set, I told the DP what I was thinking and the way that he lit it and the way he operated and everything about it. I've never been more excited, like tears of joy at the end of our last day. Cause I was, it was just shocked, uh, like how good it looked. So as far as the pacing goes and that, I think the team that we had really lends to that. I mean, it was, it was a time consuming edit, but it was an easy edit because we knew what we wanted it to look like. And everybody just understood that vision and was able to like tee it up really. So I hope that answers the question. I know that was a lot. It definitely does. And that kind of leads into my next question. Even when you're the director and the leader of the team, filmmaking is always such a collaborative process. So how do you approach working with the rest of the creative team, cinematographers, editors, production designers, et cetera? For me, there has to be a healthy level of feedback and respect. It's really hard in this industry. I mean, art is subjective by nature. And so getting and giving feedback can be tough because you could go through your 20th draft of a script and haven't gotten all this feedback and then said, okay, this is final. And then you're ready to pitch it to someone and they're going to have feedback for you because they would have done something slightly different than someone else's. So you're never going to reach a point where a project is perfect. And that means you need to be willing to listen to the voices around you and trust them, but also be able to discern when the voice that you're getting is coming from a subjective place. So it's about taking all the pieces and going, okay, I've received this feedback and I'm implementing it, but you also are going to draw a line as a director and say, this is what I'm landing on and I'm just going to stick to this gun for better, for worse. Everybody involved in the masterpiece were actually friends, or at least I was friends with everyone individually. Some of them met for the first time when there, but I had a good working relationship with each one of them. And so uh, just trust and being willing to listen to those voices and knowing when to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to trust your input on this versus no, I'm going to put my foot down and this is how I want it. And there was some of that. There were, there were a few shots where, you know, a person or two on set was like, I don't think this is going to translate. I don't think it's going to work. And I trust them, but I also had to acknowledge in this particular area, we didn't have as much time to discuss this and they didn't fully understand the vision for maybe that specific moment in the film. So I just had to say, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. Cause I know it's going to work. And then, of course, afterwards, I would say in both the instances I'm thinking with, it did. So trust and and healthy feedback and people that you have a good relationship with. For sure. Definitely sifting through feedback can be one of the challenges. I have this one friend who I send all my scripts to mainly because he hates everything I write and tends to to write things that are a different genre. So I know, okay, you're going to give me honest feedback. I just have to sift through the negativity. Yeah, we all need one of those in our lives. I'm working on a script for my next and I sent it to probably five or six different people, all from different circles. And I think 60 to 70% of them didn't like it. It was almost all negative feedback, which I wasn't hurt by because I knew it was a little bit of a risky idea. And so I expected that. But I actually got feedback from people who are in the industry, people who are just audience members, and then someone who is a professional in the psychiatric world, which the film touches on, uh, psychology and dissociative identity disorder. And so I was able to take feedback from multiple different types of audiences. And it actually, like when I sent the script out, I knew it was 
mostly there, but I knew something was missing and getting feedback from that many people from different backgrounds is actually just yesterday. I had a phone call with a friend who's a psychologist and our conversation led me to exactly what I'm going to change in the next draft. And now I'm like over the moon with it and I can't wait to get started on production. So you need people in your life who you know when you send it to are probably going to give you negative feedback because if you don't get that, it's not going to get any better. If everyone had told me, yeah, this is great. I'd be planning to shoot it the way that this current draft is right now. And that would be a mistake. Yeah. Having a thick skin to be able to deal with feedback. Definitely also important. Cause like you said, it's also subjective. Everybody's approaching it from their own perspective. And so they might have some good notes, but then they might also not understand exactly where you're coming from or what you're going for with the script. Right. So what kinds of projects do you like to work on? And are there different things that you like to work on depending on if you're directing or editing Like for me, I love writing and watching comedy, but as a DP, I love shooting horror and dramas. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. And I experienced that as well. There's almost nothing I won't edit. I think different genres have their different challenges. And I think at least if you're an editor, I think you should be able to edit, you know, across multiple genres. When it comes to the stories I write, I'm definitely drama. I like inspirational stories. I like things to have a message, even if they're not necessarily inspirational. There has to be a message. For me, it's, is the audience going to get to the end credits and feel like I'm never going to get that time back, you know, from my life? <laughs> you know, if, he, if you get to the end of a film, whether short or feature, and there's a question in your mind of like, what exactly was the point? Then I think the writer or director failed. I think we should walk away from art changed in some kind of way, for better or for worse. And so when you're writing... Where do you tend to get most of your inspiration from or how do you get ideas or do they just hit you? They kind of just hit me. I spend a lot of time listening to music. Music definitely inspires some ideas. Um, Some of the films that I've worked on have been based on true stories or based on actual people, the masterpiece being an example, obviously. But I think a lot of the stories that come to me just have to do with what's on my mind. And I like to address current events in subtle ways. I'll say this, and this touches on the last question as well. My perception of humans growing up through high school and college, because there are so many different backgrounds and so many different opinions. And especially in college, I had this ethics class where the professor was very bold and he had a very clear stance. He was not objective, which I think is frowned upon with professors usually, but he didn't care. But everyone who disagreed in this classroom, they just kind of went at each other's throats. Like they either insult the other people or put them down and they just say, well, I'm right. And here's the reasons why. And people aren't willing to listen. I heard this story once of there was a a shopping center, a mall, where this car came like crashing through a wall and careening down an escalator and at least one person was killed or injured. And so in the moment, the gut reaction of the people around them is like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this person? You know, it's anger and frustration. Like, how, how could you be this dumb to, you know, crash through this building and hurt people? And then come to find out after the investigation, the person behind the wheel had a brain aneurysm. And it was completely not their fault. They lost control of the vehicle. And now all of a sudden you have this shift in the hearts of the people who were there. And not only is it sad, but there's also a little bit of guilt because they jumped to assume something about the person behind the wheel. And so putting those things together, one of my worldviews or my ideas about people is that the only way to make a change or to have a real honest dialogue with someone is if they are shown a different perspective. So what I try to do with my stories is take a subject and show someone a different perspective. And it's why I like putting twists in movies, because I think if you can get someone to think through something and not 
enter into the experience of an audience member expecting that we're going to try and preach something or tell them what to think. They should be thinking for themselves through it, and they should come out on the other side willing to ask questions about what their own personal opinion was entering into this. That's kind of my approach when it comes to writing. And I'll say this too, there's so many indie films out there where, you know, people send me a script and I read it and it's like, this film has drug use in it and it has cars and money and action and sex and maybe nudity. And it's like, you're really excited about this because it's a story you want to tell, but Hollywood's already done it. Like everything in the script, it's already been done by Hollywood on a, a budget much bigger than what you have. Nobody wants to watch the indie version of this. You know, they'll either stop halfway through or get to the end and be like, well, that was a waste of time and I've seen it before. So I think for those of us who aren't necessarily in Hollywood or haven't made it, if that's the goal, you know, if you want to be a famous director or a famous DP or a famous writer, actor, whatever, do something that has a point to it. It has to be about the human condition and you have to tell a story that matters because if it doesn't matter, you're just adding to all the noise. Might be a bold, uh, a bold opinion, but that is my opinion <laughs> when it comes to telling stories. No, I totally agree because, I mean, oftentimes you're going to have limitations to what you can shoot and what you can do. And instead of trying to fight against those, like make it look like you have a much higher budget than you do when you really can't, it's important to work with what you got and do something unique. And I love that that story that you told and kind of the way you expressed that because that was kind of one of the things that got me interested in film as well because a, a well-crafted visual story can speak to anyone no matter what they're where they're from or what their background is and I feel like film as a medium is something that has that really does have the power to bring people together and expose people right. to different points of view and I think any good film is going to make somebody think at least a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah totally Directing and editing is such an interesting combination. A lot of the directors I know would never want to touch the editing, and a lot of the editors I know have shuddered at the very mention of directing. So as <laughs> both, how do you feel like your editing shapes your work as a director and vice versa? You know, when we were messaging prior, when you said directing and editing was a, an interesting combo, my gut reaction was like, is it? And then I started doing some research and I came to the same conclusion. You're right. I think a lot of directors don't want to edit and vice versa. I know one or two who do both. And my perception of them is they're stronger at one than they are at the other. And that's something I'm self-conscious of. But again, I won't stop because I just, I enjoy doing it. For me, it's since I have as much experience editing as I do directing, I've been editing since I got on the computer because I had to do it myself. I love the technical aspect of it, but the biggest thing is just the story. And when people ask me like, well, what do you do in film? But usually my answer is I'm a storyteller because you can tell that story through the different mediums in film. And so if I know that I'm the one editing it, it changes the way I direct because I can already see the film in my head and I usually know how I want it to cut together. As an example, I'll use the masterpiece. There were a lot of moments where things moved from shot to shot. So the first one that comes to mind is he's holding the match over the diagnosis papers. And then it's a literal match cut up to, he pulls it out of frame and then goes up to, uh, now he's lighting a cigarette in a different location. And so it informed my directing there because I knew roughly where and how I wanted to cut that and what the speed was going to be. So that just changed practically, you know, how I had him move. And then another moment where he picks up this paintbrush, walks off frame, and then we whip pan and now we're in the other location and he's going to paint. So from just a practical standpoint, 
knowing that I'm going to edit it and seeing how I want it allows me better to execute like, hey, this is exactly how I need you to move. And that's what I want. So I would say practically it helps, especially if you know where it's going to go. But from the other standpoint, if I'm going into a project knowing I'm going to direct this and edit, it just feels like a more whole experience. I think the shoots where I'm going to edit, it makes directing easier. Whereas if I know someone else is going to be editing it, I'm thinking, man, every editor is going to cut something differently. And I wonder how they're going to use this. So it might make me feel less confident about the directing uh, sometimes, but at other times it's, all right, I want to do this a few different ways because I know if I were an editor, I would like to see this this way and that way because no two cuts are going to be the same. So I would say it, uh, all in all, it brings confidence or sometimes it makes me want to do extra work because I never want to make an editor upset. My least favorite experience when I'm editing someone else's film is when I get all the footage and I'm like, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> Who shot this? So just wanting to have enough coverage to make an editor's life easier uh, if I'm not the one doing it. And then that perfectly leads into the follow-up, which was from an editor's point of view, what do you wish more directors and DPs were aware of? Oh gosh, that's hard to answer because most directors and DPs have really good relationships. And so on set, they, they kind of knew how they wanted the film to look when it was done and they shot what they thought they would need for that. The only time, uh, and recently the other film I sent you a little dead, I was not involved with that one until post-production. And there was a moment or two where I was like, gosh, I wish I had this, this one shot. On that film, there was uh, there is one scene where we transition from an outdoor shot to inside, and the script says that one character is pouring himself a glass of Coke, and then he just stands there and is watching. The close-up shot of the cup and the Coke being poured in, they had to cut that day off, and I don't know if it was because of complication with the camera or if it was just for time, but I got to the edit, and I was like, I need that shot. There is no other filler I can put here. And so I did it without it and I sent it to the director. He agreed, yeah, it was a really awkward transition. And so that was the pickup shot. They actually rented a camera again, rented the lens, went back to the same location and got just the shot of him pouring the Coke because we needed it. Wow. But that, that's a rare example. Usually everything is there. I wouldn't say I've really had any negative experiences except on weddings years ago where whoever was filming just was there for the money and not because they cared and so it was badly shot most other projects it's really well executed the only time there's an issue is if the editor and the director have a different vision for it and so you're cutting it a certain way and you're wishing there was some footage that's there but not a terribly common experience most of the time i feel like if i'm offered a job in editing it's because the director already thinks i understand their vision and usually i do and it's been a pretty smooth process yeah, one of the things that I stumbled on years ago was I was working on a project and the producer had me meet with the editor and go over the shot list with them before we shot. And I haven't always hmm. had the opportunity to do that because sometimes, as you probably know on indie stuff, you don't always have an editor beforehand. But when there is, I right. love doing that, just showing them the shot list, talking a bit about the vision with them. And then good editors can usually say, oh, could you could you get this shot in a few different ways or you're missing something yeah. that would help transition here. And it's been so helpful. Or if they just look at it and say, yep, you're in good shape. I think I can work with this. If you get all these shots, then we know that we're on the right track. And I feel like that's, that's something that should be more common because some directors have just looked super confused when I asked them if I could talk to the editor beforehand. Right. No, I think that's brilliant. I don't know many people who've taken that approach, but that definitely 
I mean, it speaks to the idea of like, if you have good relationships with everyone and everyone kind of understands the vision going in, I think the more communication between the editor and anybody involved on set, I would even say, and I don't know how common this is, but if an editor has the ability to be on set while shooting, like if I could, if I could have been on set for a little dead, just as like a PA, but just so that I had eyes on what was happening and could like, I think even catching the vibe on set that day will help inform a little bit of, you know, how the movie should feel and how it should edit. Cause any film you could cut it a thousand different ways. And if you give all the footage and all the material to a hundred different editors, they're going to cut it a hundred different ways. You know, who's going to say which one is better. It's still subjective. So I think getting a strong edit comes down to everyone understanding the vision. So I appreciate that. And I'm actually going to tell other DP friends of mine and editors like, Hey, you guys should communicate, you know, before this thing actually gets shot because somebody might see something that's not there. And if it's within reason to accomplish, let's do it. The more coverage, the better. I definitely think it should be a thing that everybody does. Just the more planning, the more preparation, the better. When you're approaching something just as the editor, how do you go about understanding the vision and just getting into the process? Because editing can be so creative. You're getting all of these different pieces. And like you said, there's so many different ways that you could put the story together. Yeah, I think the first step is um, having a, an honest conversation with the director slash writer, or if it's the same person than them, and just hearing what they wanted for it. And so with A Little Dead, the first thing I did was have a conversation with the director about like, well, what was your vision for this you know is there a message beneath the script that i don't necessarily know and there was um, with a little dead there's uh, some personal messaging underneath the script and hearing that because i read the script and i had an idea of how i was going to edit it but then i had this conversation and i heard the director's vision and it totally changed how i was going to go about it so i think just having an understanding ahead of time between them of what their vision is and then if if you had a vision that's different i think it's worth at least pitching it which i did i shared you know here's kind of what i envision for this and i was basically given the green light of like you have your vision and you've understood mine do what you think is best and the most common thing at least for me has been uh, a rough cut of the entire film is completed and then the director watches that cold and i take any and all feedback on pacing and flow and and the visuals and, you know, even specific cuts, you know, how they'd like it and then go from there. So it's definitely just a conversation with, you know, whoever's brainchild it is and understanding what their plan for this was and the way that they see it before you start cutting. Another big aspect of the editing process is definitely creative problem solving because you're one of the last steps of the process. So you might have to deal with solving issues that might have come up on set, like if some shots don't work or they didn't get everything they needed, mm. et cetera. How much of editing would you say is creative versus problem solving? Oh, boy. Uh, that kind of depends on the project. There wasn't a whole lot of problem solving on A Little Dead. There was some. And it was actually, uh, it ended up needing to be fixed by visual effects. I'm not huge into visual effects. I'm a naturalist when it comes to stuff. If I can do it in camera, I will. The uh, prop box that uh, the one character was holding that he pulls out of the cabinet, and there's a whole conversation over. When the director got to set and the prop maker was like, yep, here you go. The director was like, what is this? And they didn't have time to do another one. And so we had to, in post, design a entirely new box and CG and rotoscope the whole thing. What you saw in the film looks nothing like what was captured day of. And then um, there was a flag in the background of one shot 
that at the start of it wasn't seen. And then they did another take where they changed how the camera was going to move and didn't notice it in the background. And to be honest, I didn't notice it in the footage either. No one did until the first AC saw the rough cut and was like, oh my God, why is this flag in the footage? None of us even noticed it. And so there is no angle in the film that it wasn't in. And the CG artist that we had based on the time and the budget couldn't remove it that way. So we actually had our colorist make it blend in with the background, thinking that since most of us didn't even see it at all when it was very obvious um, because of what's happening in that scene, uh, we just camouflaged it. So uh, that film, it was probably maybe 20% problem solving and the rest was totally just the creative side and making it how I wanted, but it depends on the film. It depends on the level of talent involved and what things go wrong on set. There's always going to be stuff that goes wrong. Something is going to break. Something's going to not be there. Something's going to look different than you wanted. And so depending on what it is, it may come down to editing. It may come down to visual effects, but my belief is always shoot the film as though there is no digital post-production. You know, pretend this is all you get and you get to actually cut the film yourself and that's it. Shoot it that way, because then you're going to enter into post-production with needing very little fix it in post. If I ever hear someone say fix it in post on set, I will slap them myself. Um, (laughs) I won't actually do that. But I've been lucky and fortunate in that the projects I've signed on with, there was a lot of talent on set and there was very little fixing needing to be done. It was mostly just the creative process. Totally agree about fix it in post and being natural. I think just about anything is going to look better if you can capture it in camera as much as Mm -hmm. possible. And that mainly came from when I was first starting out, I could not wrap my head around what went into visual effects. I think I was taking an After Effects 101 class at the time and I was having such a hard time with it. I was like, what do you mean fix it in post? This is so hard. And I know there's so many right. people out there who, re- who know how to do it really well and who are not as visually effects challenged as I was. But there was just that mentality that came with me. It's like, no, don't fix it in post. That's really hard. Can you even do that? Yeah. Um, with a little dead, uh, speaking of like the creative process and fix it in post, the script did not call for a storm or for rain. And that was actually while the composer and I were talking about the film and working on it, I was like, as it's getting darker and there's a scene where one character is outside and she decides to go back in, but there wasn't an obvious motivation for her leaving. We were like, well, if there was an approaching storm and we could hear it, that would lend to the feeling of the film very well, but also it would be motivation for her coming in. I definitely, as an editor, I do... I try not to, but I can't help but watch a film or read the script and think, hey, from an editing standpoint or a sound design standpoint, what can I add to this that doesn't, you know, what's not gratuitous? What what actually lends to the story? But what can I add from an editing standpoint that just helps really polish it up or fill in the gaps? And so for A Little Dead, it was that. It was, uh, the storm was never in the script, but it worked really well having that in there. And then on the masterpiece, um, We wanted it to be raining for the final scene. We wanted it to be raining and it was raining all day. And of course, when we were ready to film, it stopped raining. So there was actually streaking still on the window, but no falling rain. 
So the actual falling rain, and in the finished film, you can see like rain hitting the window and falling, that was all CG, but it was additive. It wasn't fixing it in post, it was, we're most of the way there in camera, now we just need that last bit to get it how we want it. That's a really good point too on the, like, what can you add to it? Because I agree, I thought the storm, like when she's going back inside at the end, that definitely made sense, and... I mean, there has to be so many more cases when people have done that. You have a really good film and then there's something that you can do with sound effects so that's subtle in the cut to add it. Have you come up with stuff like that a lot for, or for other projects? No, not a lot. The A Little Dead and the Masterpiece to date are the two biggest things I've ever worked on scale-wise. So these have been the two biggest projects where I was able to work like that. And because of them, I've been able to book two films coming up where I'm the editor both for films that I was not on set for. So I'm excited to see how that goes as well, just because it's fun. Going back to the masterpiece for a moment. So that film, as, as we talked about earlier, it's so visual. I mean, the colors were very intentional. The lighting was very strong, very much contributed to the mood. As a director, how do you go about coming up with the visuals and working with the DP to come up with the visual world of the story. Cause like that one, it, I don't know, just the visuals just worked so well. You could feel the emotion in each shot and the way they flowed together. Could you, and you yeah. said you could feel that in your head going in. I don't know if I know how to answer that. I think it's just like a gut feeling. I'm a visual writer. Like when I'm writing a script, I'm seeing every shot in my head already. I don't know if it is that way for everyone, but like when I'm putting words on the page, I already see them in my head. So when the script was done and we were prepping to shoot, I've already watched the film in my head like a hundred times. And so I just, I knew what I wanted it to look like. And my goal when it comes to making a movie, regardless of what job I'm doing, I think on a good film, you should be able to watch it with no sound whatsoever and still experience the emotion of it. And on the other side, you should also be able to turn off the TV and just listen to it. And the score and the sound should tell you the whole story as well. I think anybody should be able to experience a film. And from that angle, because of Christian's story with the masterpiece being one about life and really big decisions that impact the rest of you, I didn't want there to be as much talking because I didn't want to oversaturate it with the message. I thought what you see should just tell the story itself. So it was just kind of a gut feeling. The suicide attempt moment uh, since I wanted it to be kind of theatrical and dramatic and colors tell a lot of the story, it was like, I want very little lighting here. I want it to feel dingy and cold and it should just be red. And in contrast, when he has this memory of uh, an actual event where he had this moment underwater with who is his now girlfriend, that should be calming in contrast to the previous scene. So that should have a nice blue to it. To pair with that in the very end, I wanted it to be very ambient and warm and welcome. And I wanted it to have that feeling you get if there's a storm outside and it's at night and you've got candles on and it's just very cozy. I wanted that for that scene. So soft, warm, yellow lighting. Those things just kind of felt natural to me. It was like, what's the moment that we're experiencing? How should it look? The very opening scene when he gets his diagnosis, I wanted that to feel very dull and colorless and it, I mean it is colorful but the palette there and the location that we shot at it just feels very lifeless so it's kind of a gut thing for me honestly. It looks like it must have been pretty challenging also from a directorial standpoint getting the performances because it was like you said very little dialogue mostly voiceover so how did you approach directing the actors for it? I got super lucky in that Christian and his girlfriend McKenna 
played herself in the film. She was the one under the pool as well. Um, she was also a production manager on set and phenomenal at both. I was a little nervous going in because Christian has never acted a day in his life, but he was playing himself. So it was like, I, this could either go really well or really badly, but it felt wrong to cast anyone else because of his involvement from the beginning. And he made this film happen. Years ago, him and I got to work together on a very short day in the life of video for him. And he said, Mizia, one day when I have the money and I quit my job and I go painting full time, I'm going to hire you to make a movie about me. And in my head, I was like, sure, that's never going to happen. But three years later, we both live in Nashville, five minutes down the road from each other. And he called me up and he was like, here's my budget, write me a script. And so he was involved from the very beginning and it's his story. And I'd seen him do a little bit of just being in front of the camera because people record him paint all the time. And he's got an interesting look and a fantastic voice. There was no other option from the beginning to work with anyone else. So it was kind of like, this is either going to work or it's not, but I know it has to be him. And he's been nominated for Best Actor for his performance in this in one of our festivals. And the cool thing was that he got to actually go through, you know, a lot of the moments in the film are hard moments. And there's trauma and emotional stuff he went through that, in his own words, he didn't get to process as a kid because he didn't have the mental tools. But being older now and learning more about psychology, he knows how to deal with it. So on our third day of shooting... There's the suicide scene in the tub, and then there's all the painting later that happens. We did them in the same location, and I planned it to where we we filmed the tub scene first because I knew emotionally that might be challenging, which it was. And then coming out of that, he got to physically do the thing he loves most and that brings him joy and purpose in life. And so he did a great job acting, I think, because he was pulling from real experiences and just tapping into... Uh, a thing that he's kept buried and tried to keep control over. He got to actually, uh, as he put it, he was like, I've never been allowed to be this angry. You know, it's never been okay. And so the fact that I was able to just pull that up and put it on screen, he was able to let loose on some things that have been buried for a while. And then immediately out of that, go and do the thing that he loves. And so just making the movie brought him a type of closure that he hasn't experienced um, before. So Directing with him and with McKenna was mostly just the blocking. I didn't have to do a whole lot in like, you know, I want real intensity here or I want this because it's his story. 90% of what you see in the film happened in real life. You know, we took some liberties visually, but that's his story. He got this diagnosis. He was told he wouldn't see the other side of 25. Um, He went on this spiral of depression and bad decisions. And then she pulled him out of it and was like, if you're going to live your life and there's not that much left live it to the fullest you know don't squander it and so he started painting and that was an outlet and then it was like well i want to feel better so i'm going to start eating healthy i'm going to start working out and doing that reversed his diagnosis and now he's perfectly healthy quit his job and he's a full a full-time oil painter and doing like therapeutic paintings for people it's it's beautiful but it's it's not just his truth it's truth and he was able to just do that on camera all i had to focus on was I need you here. Or we need you on this side of the screen. It wasn't difficult. It was an easy directing job. It was the perfect situation. Wow. Where will people be able to watch this? It sounds like an amazing experience. Uh, yeah, it'll be on YouTube and Vimeo on January 22nd. So it'll just be called The Masterpiece slash short film. Last question. What are you working on now and where can we follow you? What I'm working on right now, I haven't decided if I want to make the jump into my first feature yet or not. There's a feature, an idea that's been with me for 
the better part of a decade that I know is going to happen at some point. I just haven't taken the plunge yet because I don't think I'm ready yet. I think I want to do one more short film. It's very different than all my others. This one is all dialogue. The whole thing's a conversation between two people. And it's the script I was telling you. I just got feedback on from several people. So I think I'm going to dive into that next. Not sure on the timing because there's no deadlines or rush. I just want to do it right. So where can I be followed? Instagram is where I live. I am on Facebook. I hate Facebook. It's the bane of my existence. I can't stand TikTok. I should use Twitter more. I'm mostly on Instagram and I'm trying to spruce up the other stuff as well. So just my name on Instagram and Real Clef is up there as well. This year's going to be an adventure and I'm open to what happens next. Can't wait to check it out and everybody check out the masterpiece. It's beautiful. Thank you. I, I really appreciate, I didn't plan on spending all this time talking about it, but I appreciate your questions and your time on it. And I hope we get the chance to collaborate sometime. Yeah, that would be great. When I first followed you, I was super impressed by all the work that I saw on your page. And then actually watching the stuff that you'd edited, I was like, wow, this this is good. The pacing and flow are fantastic. And I can't tell you how many short films I've seen where they just drag on too long or it works, but it just doesn't quite fit together perfectly. Oh, I'm humbled by it. I really appreciate the feedback. And if you ever see anything that you think sucks, please tell me as well, because that's how we grow. (laughs) I will, but I'm sure I won't see anything that sucks. Hopefully. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It was so great talking to you and I'm excited to share this episode and for you to share the masterpiece with the world. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. It was my pleasure. And it's, uh, it's been great talking to you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Shots with Catherine, Conversations with Creatives. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Shots with Catherine. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help us grow, head to our Red Circle podcast page and donate to the show. Be sure to tune in next week when I'll be joined by musician, entrepreneur, and CEO of Beauty by 10 Cosmetics, Crystal Beverly. Thank you so much again for listening and catch you next week.